Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Part of the night, a ship's captain cautiously piloted his warship through the fog-shrouded waters. With straining eyes, he scanned the hazy darkness, searching for dangers lurking just out of sight. Then his worst fears were realized when he saw a bright light straight ahead. It appeared to be a vessel on a collision course with his ship. To avert disaster, he quickly radioed the oncoming vessel. This is Captain Jeremiah Smith, his voice crackled over the radio. Please alter your course 10 degrees south over. To the captain's amazement, the foggy image did not move. Instead, he heard back on the radio, Captain Smith, this is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees north over. Appalled at the audacity of the message, the captain should shouted back on the radio, Private Johnson, this is Captain Smith, and I order you to immediately alter your course 10 degrees south, over. A second time, the oncoming light did not budge. With all due respect, Captain Smith, came the private's voice over again, I order you to alter your course immediately 10 degrees north, over. Angered and frustrated that this impudent sailor would endanger the lives of his men and crew, the captain growled back over the radio, Private Johnson, I could have you court-martialed for this. For the last time, I command you on the authority of the United States government to alter your course 10 degrees to the south 
I am a battleship. The private's final transmission was chilling. Captain Smith, sir, once again, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. Hmm. You know, there's a great lesson to be learned, and I kind of like what is written here. Many of us in today's world have little respect for authority. We operate as if it rules we could be changed or should change. The battleship captain in that scenario said to the lighthouse director, that he represented the United States of America government and was a battleship representing the power of the United States of America. And the lighthouse director simply informed the United States of America and their government and their mighty power that they were on a head-on collision with an unmovable force. You know, the word of God tells you and I as Christians in this world that we are to be unmovable and unshakable in our faith in the kingdom of heaven. America today is on a head-on collision with an unmovable force. They seem to be on an unstoppable forward motion mission here in the United States of America and globally around the world. And there seems to be some communication, get out of my way, because we are no holds bar now. We are moving fast forward, and nothing is going to get in our way. And yet they don't realize that the unmovable force of God's truth and reality is just ahead of them. America and the nations of the world that the prophet Isaiah called but a drop in the bucket, the nations of the earth under the control of this godless government regime that is operating in full force in the land today, really has ignored the reality that the truth ahead of them is known as Judgment Day, a day of accountability, a day of judgment, wherein every being on this earth, let alone governments and nations, are going to give an account for their lives. And that truth is just ahead of us. And while we may want to ignore it and we are blinded by our pride of being the captain of a battleship for the United States of American government, that may sound pretty powerful. But in reality, in comparison to what is ahead, the truth of God Almighty, it's a very daunting reality. It's a very fearful reality to know what is ahead to a people that are non-thinking about things concerning eternity and the kingdom of heaven and God himself. But that's what the Bible is all about, isn't it? The Bible is all about telling the truth to every individual human being on this earth that you are moving directly, each one of us, all 8 billion of us, if we could just use a round number, All 8 billion people on this planet are moving towards a day of reality. And that day of reality, that day of truth, is the judgment of God, the day of judgment, the day that we give an account, the day that we are confronted by the creator, the day that we are going to speak up for what we have done 
in our lives on this earth. That is a general biblical reality for all people everywhere of every tribe, tongue, language, culture in the world. The creation is going to give an account for their existence to the creator of all things. When we think about the United States of America today and global governments today and what the Bible calls uh, a one world government or uniting together of all the nations under a one world empire and one world king and one world antichrist, all these things are very true. When we think about that objective in the world under the satanic mind and the ignorance or the ignoring of the reality that regardless of how far they go, there is a day of accountability just ahead. There's a day of truth that is going to create a head-on collision. And I guarantee the battleship is going to lose. The nations of the earth are going to lose. And while each one of us, uh, human beings walking upon the face of the earth that always have been and always will be, we will give a personal account. So do nations give an account before God. And God's word has a lot to say about nations that offend him that uh, polarize people against him, that create laws contrary to his highest standard of law for what humanity could be. And the laws that are being promoted are bringing mankind down to a very low energy and a very dark reality, rather than allowing the beaming light of God's law and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his love to compel the nations into a higher Reality, well, the satanic in the world, the God of this world, doesn't want anything in this world to achieve the greatness that God intends for this world. So they go about achieving their own greatness. They get placards and they win sporting events and they become presidents and CEOs. And we think that that's great achievement in the world system. But before God, he takes no pleasure in the strength of a man's legs. He takes no pleasure in man's accolades. God is not a respecter of persons. His desire for humanity is way up here. And yet through the church's false doctrine and the world's uh, godless way of creating their own form of what is successful, uh, the human race has succumbed to such a low existence. And God's desire for humanity, which is way up here, which means if God's standard is way up here, then it must be achievable in each human being that would come to the light of Christ, there is an achievability, if you will, to become everything God wants us to become, which is a full-blown new divine nature in operation on this earth at this time, compelling the nations to the higher ground of God's glory. So for the purpose of God creating everything was to give worship, right? We were created to worship God. But instead, men are now worshiping themselves. They are resisting God. They are proud. They are arrogant. They are self-serving. And they're in forward motion in this final moment of time. And they're now coming into contact with a lighthouse that is declaring, you better change your course. And if you don't change your course, things ahead for you are not going to be well. And we have heard the shouting of the prophets and the trumpets that have been blasting. And we've heard the voices of the multitudes crying out to America and the nations of the earth, turn repent, change your course. You need a 10 degree course shift. You need to come all the way around. You need to turn around and arrogance and the pride of the battleship commanders in the world today are shouting back at the Lord saying, no, we're not changing. You need to change. You need to change, God. You need to turn your course. You need to get out of our way. And I think 
if I'm not mistaken, that scripturally speaking, we're going to lose this battle. In fact, America is right now in the throes of death, and we have in our world a new society of thinking. And let me tell you how twisted it really is. Uh, The month of June, there are 12 months in a year in our Gregorian calendar, and in the Hebrew calendar, there's every once in a while the second Adar, uh, a 13th month, if you will. But in our world today, we have given a month, and it's the month of June, to the LGBTQ community. And today, from Tel Aviv, Israel, to Europe, to the continents and the islands and the nations of the earth all over the world, this month is dedicated as Pride Month. Pride Month. Obviously, the intent is to make people that are homosexual, lesbian, transgender, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to feel proud about who they are. In reality, if the truth be known, that lighthouse truth, this is not Pride Month. This, for many, is Shame Month. This is a shameful thing that is happening in the world today. This is a shameful thing from Israel to the United States and every place else in between. It is a shameful thing for men and women to parade their godlessness through the city streets of the nations of the earth. It is a very deep, shameful thing to be effulgencing and putting out for all the world to see how vile and abominable and wicked our actions are as human beings. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah on steroids marching not through just those cities, but all over the world. And the leaders of Sodom and Gomorrah complimenting their idolatrous actions, their grotesque actions. Yeah, month of June should be hailed as the month of shame for human beings to be acting out in defiance against God and to be showing this godless behavior that was condemned in Scripture and always has been condemned by nature itself. And the real horrifying reality about this year's shame, this year's shame, what they call pride, is that every year, see, we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles every year, not as a religious event, but as something we see in the economy of heaven, the kingdom of God, which is very fresh and very alive and very real. And we have a theme every year. We get a a special theme. This year is the glory of God. The bride of Christ is another. And we have all these themes every year. Well, every year, the LGBTQ community has a particular theme of what they want to promote. And they use all this energy and parading, and they've taken an entire month to gobble up as much territory as they possibly can in the mind of man. And this year's theme is get the children. Get the children. Infiltrate every school, every preschool, every neighborhood, every church. It's all about, this is what they're promoting, where they're going this year, the theme, get the children. Get them in television, get them in phones, get them in the computer, get them in the learning class. Get them wherever they are. Create laws, bypass barriers, 
infiltrate regions that are supposed to be secure, like the home, the church, the family. And this is marvelous that this is happening in our world, marvelous in a horrific way. Because while this is taking place right now through the month of shame, June, the month of shame, that we should be blushing over what is going on in our nation. And the reality is not only are we not blushing, we don't even care. Most people don't even care that June is such a diabolical moment for such grotesque sins that draws the wrath of God and the judgment of God throughout history. Common fact, historical data, every nation that has ever gone in the direction that we're heading right now has been destroyed. Every nation. But people don't care. It doesn't bother people. Every pulpit in America should be shouting at the top of their lungs. But we live in a day where we're all supposed to just remember. We're all supposed to be quiet. We're all supposed to accept and tolerate and go in this direction and be loving and be compassionate and have pity and be kind uh, to this particular community. Now, while we're doing that, we're being trained to be loving and kind. The enemy is advancing aggressively to go after the mind and the heart and soul of your children and grandchildren. He wants you to be pitiful. He wants you to be compassionate. He wants you to stand down and be loving and showing that you're a good Christian. You're a nice person. While they are aggressively going after your family members and infiltrating every fabric of our society, and yet the churches and the pulpits in America are silent on an issue that should be so outspoken against, but that's where we are, and it's real judgment. And while the church may not be representing the mind of God because of our silence and capitulation, the fact remains that there is a lighthouse ahead of God's glory and truth. And this nation and all the nations of the earth are going to run straight into it. And they, regardless of how much power they express to have, are going to be destroyed. That battleship of American pride is not going to stand against the mighty fortress of God's power. And in God's power, he has many strengths and many weapons. What a shameful time. What a shameful time. What an embarrassing time. A time when men and women ought to be blushing and, and bowing their heads in humble contrition and, 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 and brokenness because of what is going on in this world. And yet, on the other side of this coin, while the aggressive homosexual movement in this nation is taking place to rob children of their eternal moral condition that God was created in them, I mean, it's so... On the other side, what the world says is horrible, what the world says is evil, is this next moment with Nancy Pelosi using her position of power to begin a federal investigation into January 6, 2021. In other words, Nancy Pelosi wants to hold all of those people, nearly a million, that were in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, accountable 
for the few hundred people that breached the Capitol building, which we were told that it was open for business, and the police opened the gates and allowed people in. But anyways, regardless of all that, it's evil. January 6th. I know you've heard me say it before, but I'd like to just express it one more time. A month of shame and disgrace is promoted in the world in which we live. And a day where people rallied around their president, who was still the president of the United States, who rallied around to support the president because something was wrong with the elections. Something was wrong with the voting machines. And there, it seemed like there was a robbery taking place, but the law enforcement stood back and said, no, 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 let it be. The people that were supposed to be protecting the legitimacy of this vote were told, don't take this case on. Let this one go. It was the highest crime in the land this last election, and there's so much around it, nobody really knows except those who are in the end. And yet, the investigation against the people that supported their president, because they didn't believe what was becoming so obvious could be let go of. And this this is the problem with America. Those right-wing, Christian, Bible-believing patriots, they are the problem with America as far as the Nancy Pelosi's of this world are concerned. But the people that are promoting the LGBTQ month of shame, robbing children of their innocence by promoting and perverting their little souls through their eye gate and their ear gate, is acceptable behavior. And I personally don't understand why if I turn on my television to a Christian program, I'm not hearing this. I'm hearing the same old formulas for personal success, how you could be an overcomer and a winner in today's world. And I'm concerned about it. How about you? To sit down and to watch the impudent, scoffers and mockers of today's society, people on the left that do everything in their genius to slander any conversation regarding masks and vaccinations and all these different things, to hear them mocking people that are more morally accurate than themselves, their immorality has blinded them, their homosexuality has blinded them, They're obviously darkened in sin. We know that. And yet these darkened individuals who live the lifestyle of the blasphemy that really does exist in the world today and their unnaturalness, 
they're the ones that are dictating. They're the ones that are narrating this moment. They're the ones that are telling the world through every mechanism possible that, you know, we are right and you people are wrong, that people are on the right. And it's insane. It's madness. It's pure madness. And you wonder, where are the pulpits of America today? I mean, I understand you're on podcasts and you're on radio and you're on television and you're bringing a great following and a great gathering and people are coming to hear you and all these things, but you're not telling them of the insanity that should be producing a brokenness and an internal discomfort and turmoil to the Christian church around the world. Meanwhile, in India, Nigeria, and Africa, and China, and in the Middle East, and all over the world, Christian persecution is breaking out insanely. Massive persecution is breaking out all over the world. And we're being told that this is all normal, that America is normal. Let's go back to normal. And we know, because we've been tuned into the frequency of the Holy Spirit, that it's not normal, that this is not normal behavior. To condemn a crowd of people to support their president, and we're going to be held accountable because of a few hundred, supposedly, that's never going to happen, by the way. That will never happen in Jesus' name. But the thing is, all the world's wickedness is acceptable behavior. It doesn't make any sense, does it? So then what is God going to do? Let me read you some scripture of what I went away for a couple of days, and I spent some time in the word of God, and I came up with what I believe is to be true. And I came up with Amos 9.8. This was, I believe, God revealed this. And in Amos chapter 9, verse 8, behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from off the face of the saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For, I, for lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Verse 10 says, All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, The evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. There's a lot of people in Christendom today that are saying, No evil will come to us. I mean, even Babylon says, Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots, No evil will come to me. I sit as a queen and I'm not childless, right? Well, the sinners of my people, the people within the ecclesia who are silent in the face of opposition and are not even blushing over the reality of what's going on in our nation right now, right? Because they're participant in some manner, either through their own silence or they're just ambiguity and they just don't care because it's all about me, right? Well, God says they're going to die by the sword, which means war is coming. And I do believe the third wave that we've talked about for just over a year now. It's just over a year ago that we were talking about the four waves 
of God's divine judgment upon America in this phase. These aren't the final judgments, but this is a particular phase. We have showed God's people by Leviticus chapter 26 that God will judge a nation, even Israel, by phases of judgments. In other words, within one phase, there could be one massive judgment or, sev- or several little judgments all connected to that phase. And there were seven phases of judgment in Leviticus 26. America has been undergoing certain phases of judgment since 9-11-2001. I think that's very clear. And everything else prior to that is kind of mild in comparison. The last 20 years have been very intense in certain phases, and we have entered into a phase, another phase, that began with pandemic, coronavirus, deception, debacle, horrific reality, whatever. And that, what I mean by that is some people actually have died. They recorded millions dying by this plague, this pandemic. But then came along the deception, and it was all part of the wave. The mass and the vaccinations, see, that's all part of the wave. And then the second wave we called was the anarchy and civil disobedience. And boy, did we see that wave crash upon the shores of America and Taiwan and in other places around the world. We saw these waves hitting, particularly the Judeo-Christian nation called America. And the third wave that we knew was coming was the wave of war. The wave of war. And it's at that time where... God's people will be destroyed and will die. God's people, who they, it says right here, all the sinners of my people. Okay, so they will die by the sword. Then they will be judged, whatever their judgment is. That's between God and all people. We're all going to give an account for our lives. So, I'm going to get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I think we're going to understand something here really, really quick, because there's, a, so there's an answer what's going on right now to what we're talking about. Another scripture I want to refer to, but please allow me to read Amos chapter 9, verse 8, 9, and 10 again. And here's what the word of the Lord says prophetically to this moment that we're living in. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. Who was the sinful kingdom? It was Israel. Who is the sinful kingdom today? The Judeo-Christian nation called America and all of its partnership and children that are out there. How is God going to do it? Verse 9, Amos 9.9, for lo, I will command and I will sift the house. And how does he sift? The word sift is the nuah. And the word nuah literally means to cause to waver. It means to become a fugitive. It means to go up and down, to be gone away, to be movable. It means to reel and to scatter and to shake to cause to stagger and become a vagabond and a wanderer. And this is what God is saying. He's going to cause, he's going to toss it about. He's going to disturb it. He's going to shake it. This is all the Hebrew definition, to sift. It's like getting that thing in there, sifting it, shaking it. You know what that looks like. And how is he going to do it? He said, I'm going to shake it as corn is sifted in a sieve. 
yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. So in other words, that which is purely devoted to God will remain. Everything else that can be shaken will be shaken out of its place. That's what's coming upon the world and within the United States of America. I believe this with all of my heart, and I believe it's the word of the Lord for right now. The disturbance and the shaking is going to intensify into a violence that, you know, if you're a piece of grain and you're in that sifter, you're in that sieve, and everything is shaking, you're going to know it. It's going to be a radical ride. It's going to be an intense time. It's going to appear to be very violent how God's going to shake this earth and how he's going to shake this nation. And right now, in view of these passages, America is in the crosshairs. Another scripture that God gave was in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9. And in Jeremiah, chapter 9, I'll begin in verse... I want to begin in verse 1. Jeremiah 9, 1. This is the prophet... It's lamenting over the condition of his nation. I want to talk to you a little bit about prophets of the Old Testament in just a moment, about their life, just just a little bit of their life in the Old Testament being prophets of God. Well, this prophet, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 9-1 said, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears. I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. How is it that America, the church in America, is not weeping day and night over what's going on in this nation where little children are being taken into captivity to the LGBTQ aggressive community? Why is that? Why is there no weeping? Why is there no bitterness and tears? Why the sugar-coated, candy-coated gospel? of tolerance and acceptance. Why is that? Think about it. This prophet was crying out when he saw what was going on in his nation. He said, I wish that I could weep day and night for the slain of my people. And then in verse 2, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers in assembly of treacherous men. What the prophet was saying, I want to get out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be around Israel anymore. I don't want to be around these people anymore. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I wish that I had a place to just go and to get away because this is insane, is what he was saying. My people are dying. The children are dying. The nation is caving in. The people that should be standing up are not standing up. I just want to get out of here. I, I, don't, I can't deal with this. I'm, I, my words are falling on deaf ears. There's nothing to say anymore. It's his heartbeat. Verse 3, he says, they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. In other words, everybody in the, in the house is lying. But they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. God's own people didn't know God. And they're committing evil. From evil to evil, they're learning the ways of the heathen nations. They don't want to stand out anymore. They don't want to be separate anymore. They're afraid that the world will say, oh, you're being holier than thou, or you're self-righteous, or you might take, be taken to YouTube and mocked and ridiculed 
and scoffed at and slandered by the godless people that are out there doing those things. So God's people, this is the prophet looking in to the life of God's people. They don't, and he says they don't even know God anymore. They have taken the bait. They have swallowed the lie for so long that they don't even know God's truth anymore. They think God wants them to be silent and capitulate and embrace the immoral behavior of the heathen nations and become like them, that this is somehow God's acceptable will. The prophet cries out again. In verse 4, he says, Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanders. Do you realize the judgment that is contained in those words? That a time is coming and did exist in the days of Jeremiah that you couldn't even trust your neighbor anymore. You couldn't even trust your brother anymore. That there was going to be such a spirit of strife and contention and backbiting and gossip and whispering that there, there's no safe environment among the brethren. They all smile in your face, but they backstab you with their words or their actions. I mean, this was this is horrible. And Jesus said in the last days it would be just like that again. But he didn't just limit it to neighbors. He said in your own house it would be three against two and two against three. And then in verse 5, and they will deceive everyone his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Do you know when he shakes in the sieve all the grain, that the pure grain will remain? Do you know how precious that remaining grain is? That is literally speaking of the remnant. And if you have found a remnant of people that you can still trust, that if your neighbor will not walk with slanders, if you have found fellowship anywhere in this world in the body of Christ, you must consider the preciousness of that remnant. Don't take for granted the precious seed, the precious kernels, the precious corn that God has saved while he's shaking everything else. If you belong to a fellowship that does not walk in slander and gossip and backbiting and strife and contention and pride and arrogance and jealousy and lust and corruption, if you live within the context of an ecclesia in whatever area you live in the world, and you have people that are genuinely moving forward and have learned to obey the word of God in their hearts, and when they fail, they know where to go, they fall upon the rock rather than being proud and letting the rock crush them. If you, if you live within the context of imperfect people but are moving in the direction of perfection to honor the king, I had a friend that told me if there's a church like that anywhere in the world, I'll pack my entire house and I'll move there and I'll become a part of that ministry because that's the most important thing in eternity. And I agree. Who wants to live in an environment you can't trust your neighbor? Who wants to live in an environment you can't trust your brother? Who wants to live in an environment where everybody's lying and deceiving? They're looking one way but acting another way. I mean, who wants to live in that environment? It's godless. It's horrible. And yet this is what Jeremiah is, was declaring. 
And then he went on to say in verse 6, your habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. So the environment was a deceitful environment. And within that deceitful environment, the people did not know the Lord. They do not know him. God knows everything. He knows you. He knows me. He knows all about everything. But his people that he chooses and calls should know him. We should know how he feels about things that are going on in our own lives, in our communities, in our families, in our nation, in our world. We should know how God feels. But he says, my people don't know me. They think that I'm all into this sugar-coated, tolerant, sloppy agape, greasy grace, you know, love everybody, be pitiful. Meanwhile, that very enemy that you're, pity, you're pitying is aggressively stealing and warring against everything called God. The people don't know God, so they capitulate. And then in verse 7, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, under this climate, within this climate, and let me tell you something, if you belong to a remnant church of believers, big or small, you ought to thank God for whatever fellowship is there, because the general climate in the world today is exactly what was just read. Churches everywhere filled with pornography, adultery, lust, backbiting, gossip, slander, evil, just human nature. It's a human-natured whore church. It's a whore's heart in nature, claiming to be the bride of Christ and yet loving the world, okay? Well, if you don't belong to that, you actually belong to something that's genuinely remnant, separated unto God Almighty, you need to value that if you found it. And if you haven't found it, I pray, dear God, may he direct you to find somewhere in this world, because I know that there is a remnant left on this earth somewhere. But God says in this climate, therefore, thus said the Lord of hosts, behold, I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do for the daughter of my people? I want you to notice something. While the world's sinful conduct is obvious, notice that God is more concerned about the conduct of his own people. He's not saying I'm going to melt the LGBTQ community. Not now. I'm not going to melt the abortion clinic. Obviously, 40-something years, it ain't happening. I'm not going to abort the pornography industry. Heck no. I'm not going to, I'm not going to melt the communist socialistic agenda in the United States and around the world. I'm not melting that. What I'm going to melt are my people, the sinners of my people. I'm going to melt them and try them. And that word melt simply means, in Scripture, it's a saraf, and it means to refine. Have you ever heard of the refiner's fire? It is the goldsmith. It is the purging away. So God is saying, in the midst of this climate, that the world has created and the church has capitulated in, 
I'm going to refine, and I'm turning up the heat in the refiner's fire. Malachi talks about I'm going to sit as a refiner of silver and gold, and I'm going to refine them, right? He talks about it. I'm going to bring a tenth through the fire. Talk about a remnant, a tithe of people, a tenth that are going to survive this time. And God says, I will melt them and try them, for how shall I do for the daughter of my people? God is basically resolved to, what else can I do? My mercy, my grace, my kindness has been perverted into something that I would never tolerate. I would never tolerate. I will forgive everybody and anybody in this whole world that will come to my son and confess their sin. I will receive and forgive everybody in the whole world. But when the world makes war with me in pure defiance, I don't tolerate that. I just know that in their stupidity and in their ignorance, they're making war with me and their efforts to really undermine my purpose for the salvation of souls around the world. When, they, when you get that far, I will never tolerate that. I don't accept the behavior and the actions of a godless world. No human flesh is you know, right before God. Only those who are born again and are moving in the right direction, who receive the true grace and mercy and forgiveness of God and the kindness and love of God can begin to really understand the walk and the journey. Verse 8, he kind of goes back to what's going on with his people. Their tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in heart, he layeth his weight. In other words, he's put a snare out for his neighbor. This was the conduct. And God's response to it, verse 9, Shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? So, how do you rightly divide the moment that we're in right now? How do you rightly divide this moment? How do we, how do we, how are we moved by such a moment as this? God's love is real. God's patience is real. The world is full of sin. We were full of sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he who doesn't shall be damned, black and white, in or out, yes or no, period, no gray zone. What do I do about that? No, you either believe and are saved or you don't believe and you're damned. A lot of people say they believe but in their actions don't believe. The devils believe, and that was James's contention. So believing, obviously, is tied to our walk and our behavior and conduct before God and our obedience. If I believe that the word of God is true, then I need to follow and do what it says to do. And that's how I'm really being judged, whether or not I do what the word tells me to do. And I think most of us fall very short. And there are times when we just have to, you know, shrivel up into a place of, I'm falling really short here. But that can lead to repentance. That's called brokenness. That's called 
confession. That's called admittance. That's called, man, I'm just not doing this right. And rather than protecting the reason why I'm doing it, I have no excuse. And how dare I judge the world and I do the same things? Well, that's what Paul wrote to the book, to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 2. You'll notice in the story, and I'll just pick up in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And this is uh, Paul's gospel. Okay, I want you to notice this. This is Paul's gospel, and he's getting ready to tell the Christians in Rome. They were Jews and Gentiles that came together. They had a church. They were having a lot of problems, the Jew and the Gentile. But the Roman world all around them was living a licentious world. And so Paul's going to really point the finger at the world around them, the Roman unbelieving world. And he says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. In other words, the sin-sick world of humanity, they know. And you're going to see this. They know. The power of God is revealed in nature itself. Well, so that they are without excuse. God is literally saying through Paul that the Roman world, which accomplishes the whole world of man all over the world, human, human nature, humanity, they are without excuse. The LGBTQ community, they are without excuse. The abortion clinic, they are without excuse. The pornography industry, they are without excuse. All the world is without excuse. You are, okay? The world is. But Paul's first pointing at the world. And he's saying, man, these guys are really, really, really bad. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. The professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God that was made known to them into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. How creepy is that? That almighty God in his eternal power and glory was put out of the way so they could worship some four-footed beast? This is what man has done. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. God gave them up, the human race, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, the truth that God revealed to them in their hearts, the whole human race. We know better. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. And for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. This is putrid in the Greek, putrid, vomitous affections. Ugh. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was due them or me. So in other words, he's getting deep into the homosexual issue. Women were having sexual intercourse with beasts, for goodness sake, uh, and animals and women with women. And now he's talking about men with men. And from a biblical God view, it was most 
vile. But God said, that's what you want. That's what you're going to get. And then in verse 28, and even they, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And that's what the world has got, a reprobate mind. It's useless. It has no value to the eternal purpose of God. To do those things which are not convenient. They're filled with all unrighteousness. Listen to the list. This is God's condemnation of the world, okay? They're filled. And we Christians sit back and say, yes, listen to this. They're filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God intrinsically, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So there it is. Paul, the apostle, has brought a court case to the world, and he said, listen, this world is doing this, and they are without excuse, and they are going to be judged by God, period. Okay, that's, that's it. That's the world. That's all true. That case is closed. God is going to judge the world. But in chapter 2, it talks to the church. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, who, whosoever you are that judges. Uh-oh. For wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge do the same things. Ah, an epiphany. Now I understand why everybody in the church is saying don't judge. Because they're doing the same thing. Because another scripture, the Apostle Paul says, the spiritual man judges all things. Paul, writing to the church of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Do you not judge those that are within for those that are without? God judges. But we judge that was within, dealing with the man who had sex with his father's wife. He said, you better judge it. But here Paul's saying to the church, you're condemning yourself by judging the world for what it's doing when you're doing the same thing. Now, I want to ask you a question. Should any Christian, any Christian, live like this? Should any Christian live being filled with all unrighteousness, fornicating, wicked, covetous, backbiters, haters of God. Can you imagine a Christian being a hater of God? Despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, Without understanding, should any Christian have this going on in their lives? Covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, which means hard-hearted, unmerciful. Should any of us who claim Christ, who have been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, live in that environment in our souls? But Paul's saying that that's exactly what they were doing. The church in Rome was looking at the world, obviously, but they had come to Christ, 
and were still doing the same thing. And they were judging the world saying, well, I'm just a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to point the finger at the world, even though I do the same thing, because I'm saved by grace. Is that the mystery? I'm saved by grace. I believe in Jesus. So even though I do the same thing they're doing, I can, I can judge them because they do it without Jesus. I do it with Jesus. Therefore, I'm okay. And that's not what Paul was teaching. It's not what Christ was teaching. He said, but we are sure the judgment of God in verse 2. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? So again, here's here's the problem. You have people in the church today that refuse to judge the world's wickedness. And then you have people in the church that judge the world's wickedness, but are just as wicked because they have sloppy, agape, and greasy grace, and have never been sanctified and set free by the power of the blood of Jesus, right? And are working out their salvation. The church doesn't judge the world at all. And those in the church judge the world, but they do the same thing because they think they're covered by grace. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. The spiritual man, the righteous man, judges everything. The church is supposed to be the government of God and to judge what that man did was wrong and then execute judgment because they were supposed to be doing the will of God, living the right way. They were all rejoicing, and Paul said, I protest your rejoicing. You guys are having great church services, and the glory and the gift and the spirit is there, but you're not judging the sin in the camp. You see, to not judge is to deny the word of God. To judge others when doing the same thing, trouble. You're not going to get away with it. So then the only right thing is that the church should be an emblem of light, like a lighthouse. It should be an emblem of light and glory to show sinners the way, right? Like he's going to talk about here in just a second. And it should be a morally uh, accurate uh, entity of men and women walking in integrity, in faithfulness, obedience to God, producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, And recognizing, yeah, that world, man, I was in it, I get it, it is judged. It is judged. But so is Christianity that's doing the same thing the world is doing. But we have been separated, say, at the remnant, right? So let's go on just a little bit further here. In Romans chapter 2, he said, you will not escape the judgment of God who do the same things. Verse 4, or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering that he's displayed towards you and I. It's been the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So God has been good towards us. He has been merciful towards us. He has been very rich in his grace towards us with the purpose of bringing us to repentance turning away from the things that we used to do in the world and even as Christian believers. He's been so kind and good to get us to a place that we don't do that anymore so that when we do judge, 
we're judging not out of hypocrisy, but we're judging from God's moral standard of what is right and wrong. And because we have repented and we do what is right according to God and not what is wrong, now we have a right to judge. One of Patricia's favorite scriptures is when uh, your obedience is complete. It says standing in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, we have to be careful. So Paul's not saying, church, you're not supposed to judge. No, the church is supposed to be putting so much light out. It's exposing everything that's dark. But when the church is living like the world, they don't want to judge. A smart man will say, man, I'm not going to judge any of that stuff because I'm just like it. But the problem with that is if you're just like it, then you're not really saved. Unless you're moving in the pathway of salvation, that God's goodness of grace and mercy and kindness is producing a transformation of your heart. Okay, is that what he's saying? Yes. He went on in verse 5 and said, but after your hardness and impenitent heart. You know what impenitent heart is? I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to turn. I am who I am, they said. This is what you see is what you get. Really? Well, I don't want it then, right? That's what people would say. The impenitent heart is the unrepentant heart. Conviction, kindness, forbearance, grace, mercy. It's not producing repentance. So now we're taking for granted God's grace, mercy, kindness that's not changing us but we still think we have access into heaven. And we think by not judging because we're the same way that we're going to still go to heaven. But if we're the same way the judge the world is, then we're already judged. If we're not repenting through God's richness of grace and long suffering and forbearance and patience and kindness, all that being directed at us by God, our father is intended to produce a transformation. But after the hardness and impenitent heart, treasure us up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath. These people are treasuring up the wrath of God that call themselves Christians who won't judge because they do the same thing. Or they do judge doing the same thing. They're storing up wrath and against the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You see, there is a revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What does that mean, the righteous judgment? That means when God judges, he's right. And he goes on to say, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Every one of us will be judged according to our deeds. To them who by patient continuance, listen to this word, to them who by patient continuation in well-doing. In other words, patiently doing what is right all the time. To them who by patient continuation in well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality. That's what we should be doing. Seeking for glory, God's glory, honor, God's honor, and immortality. Here's the reward. He tells you. So to them that who are patient and continuing to do what is right and are seeking for God's glory, his glory to be revealed in us, the honor of God in our lives, the immortality that God is bringing us into, as we're seeking for that, the reward is eternal life. 
eternal life. That's the reward of somebody who seeks for God's glory, honor, and immortality, who through patient continuation of doing what is right, the end of that is eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, the ungodly, there's Romans chapter 6 coming up on that one, they obey unrighteousness, here's their reward, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that works good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. And that ought to put the fear of the Lord in every one of us. You see, so we have a number of God forbids right now. All right, let's look at a few God forbids. God forbid that I judge the world when I do the same thing. God forbid, number two, God forbid I don't judge the world because I do the same thing. And God forbid that I think that I am better or self-righteous, or holier than thou, God forbid. The proper approach to what's happening, the church is to judge, not the world. The world is judged. When we speak to the world, it's a warning like Noah. He preached God's righteousness to get them out of judgment. That's how you and I got saved. The word of God must be heard in the world. The church is the mechanism through which God brings his message, the prophets of God. But in the new covenant, we're all supposed to go into all the world and tell the good news. You're a sinner. You've broken God's law, but there's salvation through Jesus Christ. But the way that I approach that, if I have an attitude of arrogance and pride that I'm better than you, God forbid. I've been where you are. I'm walking a path of transformation. My life is changing and I'm moving in the direction of God and my confidence and boldness comes from him and him alone. And I'm telling you that if you don't repent, you're going to suffer eternal damnation. You have to tell the world that. But the church also must be judged. We have to judge ourselves. Paul said if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. If we properly judge ourselves according to the word of God. If there's sin in the camp, it has to be judged. When the church stops judging iniquity within that camp, Iniquity, like 
not saying anything against the LGBTQ community that wants to rob your children. It's on an aggressive path to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you don't confront it, now, the only way one could confront it is I'm not doing the same thing. Because if you confront it and you're doing the same thing, you're a hypocrite, but you're also condemning yourself. So you have to make sure you're not living mentally, emotionally, inwardly, actually, like the world. You have to know that you're walking in obedience to the word of God. Now, that's where the church should be, through the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the character of Christ, showing by our life that we really are obeying God. We don't go around telling everybody, I obey the Lord. Look at me. I, I pay my tithes twice a week. Look at me. I go to church three times. Hello, here I am. No, we don't ever do that. We show our obedience to God by the life we live. And if there's something in my life that is worldly and nobody tells me, I'm in my own delusion and deception. And that's what was going on in Jeremiah. Nobody was speaking the truth. Everybody was deceiving. How are you? Fine. Doing good. Oh, I I saw what you did, but I'm not going to talk about it. It was a big lie. And they learned to keep it that way because they didn't want to rock the boat. They didn't want to hold one another accountable. That's too much work. That's why Jeremiah said, man, I want to get out of here. These, these people, I just, they, he wanted out. He said, let me just work out my own salvation. Let me just walk with God. You know, you guys do what you want. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going with the Lord. I'm done with this. Let me tell you about prophets of God in the Old Testament. Can you imagine the pressure on their lives? That these imperfect men, apprehended by God, told to stand up and speak God's words to nations about his coming wrath and judgment against their sinfulness. Were they perfect in keeping the law? These prophets? There was something about their heart that God chose. He chose them as a vessel, sanctified them, anointed them, appointed them. But I wonder when they were preaching, were they a little bit more moral? Were they a little bit more far ahead and keeping the laws of God every jot and tittle? Where, where were they? Did they tremble at the very words they were hearing for themselves? God needed them to speak. He needed a voice. The church today, there's only one house of God. There's only one spirit. There's only one body of Christ made up of many members. The ecclesia today, the church today, is supposed to be God's house a mobile tabernacle of God walking through the earth as a lighthouse, full of light, full of glory, full of honor. And yet the church today is mocked, ridiculed, scoffed, filled with iniquity and sin and pride and lust and every horrible thing that goes on in the world. The church carries in God's house. So God says, I will forsake my house. I will divorce Israel. I will leave it unto itself. And I am going to do something. I'm going to sift it, and I'm going to melt it. I'm going to melt and purge the dross 
out of my house. I'm not going to allow demons in my house. I'm not going to allow sin in my house. I'm not going to allow immorality or bad behavior or misconduct in my house. My house is to be filled with honor. My house is to be filled with glory. My house is to be filled with righteousness so that my house in that neighborhood, everybody sees the glory of God. Not for themselves, but it's my glory, my honor. And the house of God is not made with bricks and hands. We, the people of God who come to faith in God through Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled in, in the restoration. We are his house. And if there's something wrong with us that we can't put on display his glory, then why, why aren't we repenting from whatever it is? Well, I won't judge the world out there because I'm just like them. Why? Isn't there any glory, any power, any sanctification, any Holy Spirit to change? There must be the power of God operating in the house of God to bring change. Not religion. We're not talking about being holier Puritans and all. No titles. Just a life in the Spirit. And if you're living in the spirit, you should not be afraid to tell the world of its, its head-on collision with a lighthouse, God's truth. And if you're walking in righteousness and doing what's right, you should not be afraid to hold your brothers and sisters accountable before God by telling them because you're living in deceit by talking about them behind their backs, telling everybody what you think about them. I mean, that's just pure deceit. Come on. So either we're going to get it right or we're going to have to say good night. Goodbye. I'm out. You see, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God because guess what? When I went back to Romans, we are without excuse. We're without excuse. And in Paul's letter, he goes on, after saying there's no respect of persons with God, in verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without the law. That's speaking of the Gentiles. Now Paul's talking to the church. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And it's not the hearers of the word of God that are justified. It's the doers of the word of God that are justified in the new covenant. How do I begin to wrap this up today? What are we talking about? God desires you and I to be the most liberated people on this earth, full of light, full of golden oil, full of salt, full of compassion, full of mercy, full of love, full of joy, full of kindness, full of God, filled with the fullness of God. That's his desire, to fill us up. And not to walk around with a sour puss, blaming everybody out there in the world, but definitely as the light of the world, exposing the darkness so that somebody will see in the darkness and come to the light called salvation. And God wants us to live a life that in the midst of the body of Christ, we are the standard. Your life should be the standard of what is acceptable to God. 
Doesn't mean you don't get God's mercy and forgiveness. And you know, God loves you. Confess your sins, he'll forgive you. But don't remain in the place that you just got to go over and 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 over. God will forgive you over and over and over and over and over, but he wants you to get beyond that thing, right? It's simple. We're supposed to be the light of the world. And I fear that the church, the ecclesia, many have put a shade, a cover over our light. We're afraid to speak the truth anymore to people that are perishing in the darkness. We don't want to be inconvenienced with them getting angry at us. I think the world right now is so hypocritically dark with an angel of light spirit to guide it. It's crazy when you look through God's lens. I'm just a single man working out, single in my singularity as a human being. I'm a married man, but I'm a single individual working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm really laboring by the grace of God and the spirit of God. I don't want to reject his kindness, his forbearance and patience and the richness of his grace in my life just to be hard-hearted and impenitent. I really do want to change. And some areas have changed wonderfully. And there's probably a few areas that maybe it's a little bit harder. And maybe the ground is a little bit harder in some areas. I don't know. I'm not consciously aware of anything, quite frankly, except some, you know, maybe personality things God wants to change in my life and thinking thoughts. I, I don't know. I'm just working it out like you are. But I have to know while I'm working it out, I have a responsibility as a Christian man. Whether you're a pastor on a podcast or not, I have a responsibility to let my light so shine before men that they see my good works and glorify God in heaven and be the salt of the earth. To be a preservant of the things of God, his word must be preserved. His truth must be preserved. And I'm here to keep God's truth alive in the mind of men and in their ears and in their sight. And we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And to tell people, if you believe, you'll be saved. If you don't, you'll be damned because there's judgment on you. We have to do that. That's Christianity ABC. It's June. And the world has taken it for what they call Pride Month. And it's really a shame. Can you admit it? It's a shame to be parading homosexuality and lesbianism and transgenderism and pedophilia and pornography and every debased, sensual, sexual, deviant thing, to put it on a float and parade down the streets and march all over the world, the largest gatherings in Tel Aviv, Israel. This whole month is dedicated with an intention, with an agenda, get to the children, get to the children. And the church is... Wallowing in what? Are we afraid to go to these parades with a sign? Is that not our job? I'm going to conclude. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking right now. I know Christians who have gone to these places. We've done it ourselves. We've hit the streets. We've gone out. We've held up a sign or two along the way. But maybe something else is happening right now. Maybe right now on planet Earth, something's happening. I want to read it to you. 
In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we've read it, I don't know how many times, and we've tried to understand it, but I think maybe we have a greater understanding today. Just come along with me for a moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, now we beseech you, brethren, this is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he's beseeching, he's begging them. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking particularly, specifically about the second coming, as we call it, of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns from heaven. He said, we beseech you by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. We've talked about that a hundred times. Our gathering together unto him, the dead shall rise, we who are alive and remaining shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. And we'll be gathered together unto the Lord. That's his coming that he's referring to. Okay? He doesn't make landfall. We go and meet him and we go with him. And then the wrath of God is poured out on the earth and then we return for the millennial reign. But listen to what Paul says. He says, I'm beseeching you by this event that's coming that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. There was a doctrine being preached in the early church, as it is today, called the doctrine of imminency. They were saying, it's ready to happen any moment now, any moment. And everybody's getting nervous. They're getting weirded out. And the resurrection's past, and it's all happening any moment. And Paul's trying to deal with this anxiety in the church. And he said, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. What day? The coming of the Lord are being gathered together unto him the day that everybody's waiting for. He said, but it's not this doctrine of imminency any moment. He said, listen, that day shall not come except. In other words, it can't come except there come a falling away first or a defection, apostasy, a defection from the truth. It's happening all over the world right now. And people don't even know it, which is scary. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So the man of sin has to be revealed before the day comes. Before the day of the Lord comes, before the day when he comes and we gather to him, he said, that day, our gathering together unto him and his coming, cannot happen until the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He's got to be revealed first. Who opposes and exalts himself Above all that is called God, he's going to do it, or that is worship, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, that is connected to the Lord's return and to our gathering. Paul was talking to his generation. Maybe Paul thought it was his generation that was going to witness the coming of the Lord in the clouds. And the trumpet was going to sound, the dead were going to rise, and we were going to be changed, and it all happened. The preterists will tell you that's what happened in 70 AD or before 70 AD. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It's going to happen. But listen to what Paul says in verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you that these things, I told you these things. And now you know what is holding or withholding or restraining that he might be revealed in his time. So what's holding Jesus from coming? What's restraining the Lord from coming? 
These things have to happen. A defection from the truth. The man of sin must come and boast himself to be God. Okay? He's going to contend with everything that is called God. He's going to make himself God, his own artificial intelligence, his own system, whatever. And so Paul says, now you know. And now you know what is holding him back, restraining that he might be revealed in his time, Jesus. Listen, now verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now lets or restrains will let or restrain until he be taken out of the way. And this is what I want to talk to you about. There has been much supposition about that verse. He be taken out of the way. And the question was, who be taken out of the way? And the pre-tribulation doctrine teachers say that that's the church. The he there is the church because it also refers to the Holy Spirit. So they're saying that uh, there's a restraining, uh, now dealing with the mystery of iniquity that, that already works. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. So there's something restraining, holding back the wicked one from being revealed, something restraining Jesus from returning to the earth, and it has to be the revelation of the wicked one. Something's holding everything back. The pre-tribulational Rapture doctrine says it's the church and the Holy Spirit that must be taken out of the way because they're holding back the wicked one from being revealed. That's what they're saying. Others say, no, he that must be taken out of the way is the law of God or the laws that protected society. I have another suggestion for you. Is it possible right now, and, and let me be clear, and, you, and we'll go, we can go into depth into this. Is it possible that a church that is judging the world but is doing the same thing the world is doing is really not a problem? They're not the ones that are holding anything back. Okay? A church that doesn't judge the world because they do the same thing the world does and they don't want to be condemned but they're still doing what the world does, they're probably not that much of a problem. They're probably not restraining much. Would you agree? It's more likely that the righteous remnant, the uncompromisingly righteous saints of God who don't do what the world does anymore, who have repented, who do judge the way that God judges and sees it the way God sees it, not with a critical fault-finding finger, but to say you will die in that condition if you don't repent, and and to declare it and expose it, that there's a remnant of people on this earth that are the ones responsible for holding things back. And the time is coming, maybe now, that God is beginning to say to the righteous remnant, come out of her, my people. It's time for you to go into the wilderness. In other words, It's time for the righteous remnant, not the hypocritical, not the self-righteous, not the righteous remnant. It's time. And that God is going to begin to withdraw 
his righteous remnant so that they're not going to stand up anymore. They're not going to preach anymore to the world. They're not going to say anything anymore. Their time of departure to be taken out of the way, then the wicked one will be revealed. So it's not the church disappearing off the face of the earth. It's not a pre-tribulational rapture. It's the righteous remnant withdrawing from society, no longer bringing light and truth. And the wicked one comes into that environment. And only they themselves will know. And the sinners in Zion will perish. Many will fall away and defect. Many will take the mark of the beast. Are you one of them? Are you one of them? The uncompromisingly righteous. Are you an obedient son of God or daughter of God? Do you have an inkling inside of you to say, I'm not going to say anything because I'm just like them? If you are saying that, you're in danger. And to say, well, I am going to speak doesn't make you proud or holier than anybody. But really, quite frankly, it's just that you're a vessel meet for the master's use. You've purged yourself of some things that makes you available to God. The time is close at hand for the wicked one to be revealed. There are world events that are happening all over the world. And if we Americanize the gospel and think, well, whatever happens in America, that's the lens of the end time Bible prophecy. Listen, end time Bible prophecy is happening all over the world right now. Things that are written in scripture that Americans look at and say, well, that that hasn't happened to America. Therefore, it hasn't happened. Wait a second. It's happened in other places in the world. End-time Bible prophecy involves very general things all over the world. It gets down to the specifics of persecution against the church. That's also happening in the world. My point, we're getting very, very close to the end. Very close. The church cannot afford to be silent because it's like the world. And it can't afford to judge the world when it's like the world. It can't afford any of that. There's only one right response. Take up our cross, die daily, forgive and pardon everybody that has ever sinned against us, speak the truth in love, declare God's truth, repent of all sin known, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal anything unknown, get to the roots, get to things, have Faith in God, which will take care of a lot of stuff. Have faith in God in the work of Christ on the cross, what he did for you. Receive the gift of his righteousness and put it on so you do what is right. Don't just say, I'm the righteousness of God and then do unrighteousness. That would be perverting his righteousness. If you're receiving the righteousness of Jesus, put it on and do what is right, according to his standard. And then you never boast that it's you that did anything. It's only Christ's righteousness at work in your life. Because you've yielded and submitted to his righteousness and have done away with your own. So, it's getting very late. I will tell you that I believe with all of my heart, melting and sifting in the summer of 2021 I believe this is the third year that the prophecy in Amos chapter 8 has gone forth. 
And I believe that this year you're going to see a summer of violence, which begins in five days. June 20th, summer begins in America. And I believe that this summer, June, July, August, into September, until whenever that first day of fall is, I believe that going into the fall of 2021, there will have been tremendous amount of shaking, sifting, melting, and purging in the house of God. I believe that the world is going to absolutely release the most heinous, violent, demonic human nature that the world has known in a long time. It's coming. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, an unstoppable force, and an unmovable object. Head-on collision. Where will you be? Where will the righteous remnant be? Come out of her, my people. And that's our message for today. I hope in some way it was helpful to you. I just want to go over to our chat room right now and say good morning to a few friends that are out there. And um, by the way, Joyce, if you're still on, is it possible you could bring some of our, our organo to Bible study tonight? Three of them, if possible. We would love some organo, 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 organo. And so, Joyce, if you're still there, I would really appreciate that. Um, Patricia and I both would. Say good morning to our friend Charlotte Gotch this morning. Charlotte, good morning to you. Carol Carey, good morning to you. Um, Kathy Bruns, all the way from South Dakota, good morning to you. Janine Peltier, good morning. Good morning, Janine. Kevin Hauger, good morning to all. Thank you, Kevin, for the blessings that you put out there. Brenda Torville, good morning, Pastor Vince. Good morning, Brenda. And Cindy Messman. You got a line waiting for you. I got a great haircut, by the way. It was from Seattle. She did a great job. And uh, But I know there's a line of people waiting for you. Joyce, I'm grateful for my remnant church family and pastors. See you with coffee tonight. Yes, I'm so glad you got my message. All right, well, that's it. Not a lot of chat going on there today. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Until then, I'm Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. You've been listening to The Watchman on Omega Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Facebook, and YouTube. And right now on omegaradio.org, there's a roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier. If you got a problem with a controlling spirit or want to know what a controlling spirit is, you may want to tune into that broadcast. It's happening right now. Until then, we'll see you tomorrow.